face all games now, all lies and deceit. What happened to the truth? What happened to the dream? What happened to all that lovely hippie shit? Designed as a space to support a vibrant and active artistic community nestled within the Catskill Mountains. Presenting Light Codes, a group photography exhibition and special installation by Lindsay Comstock and Monty Wilson. Bringing together works by artists who use photographic processes and the language of light to transport viewers to new realms. Light Codes. On view through Sunday, February 25th at 1053 Main Street Gallery in Fleischmann's, 1053MainGallery.com. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center in Walton, open 730 to 2.30, Tuesday through Saturday, for waste disposal and recycling, in service to make a difference by reducing pollution in Delaware County. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center, State Route 10 in Walton, 607-832-5800. Or click the Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center link at WIOXradio.org. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station. And I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org. Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOX Radio. 
Org on computers or smartphones. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? It's going good, Ryan. What's what you, up? What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Oh, I'm working on a big house project pretty much all winter, so that's been uh, eating up my weekends for the most part. I have not been going for as long of a walks as I normally do, unfortunately. But I did have to dig up the corner of my foundation the other day, and... Uh, I have to report there is zero frost around my house. I can dig with a shovel, no problem. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I believe it. So, it's we haven't had much of a winter. Not cold. No, we haven't had much of a winter. Um, it's been pretty good for pruning apple trees, which we do most days or every day pretty much. Uh, except for today, it, it, it hasn't even been windy, which in the winter is, to me, the worst. Uh, hasn't been much snow, which for some people they they probably miss the snow. They want to go snowshoeing and skiing, which which I get. Um, just makes my life a little more difficult. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty mild. It hasn't been an atrocious or hard winter yet. Yeah, no. still yeah. got half of February left, but the forecast is not that bad. No, this week's the cold week, and then it looks like right back into the low forties during the day again. Yeah, we were ta- one of our uh, one of Catskill Forest Association members emailed us recently, and she does some backyard maple sugaring, which is tonight's topic, by the way. And her neighbor was saying that you know if you don't if you tap too early, you know you, you won't get the high sugar contents. Hmm. My observations over the last seventeen years of doing it, taking notes really religiously, the last ten or so, twelve, I haven't seen that. So I'm not saying it's not possible. I just haven't seen it. No, what I, what I was taught, I don't know if this means anything, but the first run is usually the lowest, then picks up quickly after that and tapers off towards the end of the season again. I have seen that. So, yeah. For, so, for example, this year I tapped, I don't know, second, third week in January. Um, it started out around 2.2%, and it peaked Last week, man, um, what was it the 3rd or 4th of February or so? It peaked at 3.2%. Oh, wow. Great. That, that lasted for about one, two, maybe three days. And then went back down to between 24 and 2.6%. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at. So I think personally, it's not about when you tap, but that's, you're going to follow that trend throughout the season you know until you get to the end then it's always going to drop off quickly yeah it's interesting i was reading some uh excerpts from an old book where the guy is you know um talking about maple sugaring in the 1700s and there's two big things one really big thing there there that keeps coming back but i'll talk about that in a second but he was claiming that and who knows that when you tap a tree, you actually make them sweeter by tapping them. Isn't that interesting? What was his theory on that? He thought that the trees react somehow, and you know, it, it's, it's like, like a defense, almost like bleeding. He he equated to like bleeding at an animal or something. I don't know. It was weird, but <laughs> but yeah, like they react and 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 become like more fruitful almost. Huh? Isn't that interesting? I don't know if it's true, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. Some I don't know if anybody's done any research on that, but um, yeah, I don't know. They the sugar these commercial guys say a new sugar bush is the first year you tap. It's going to be the best year it's ever got in it. 
Yeah, um, that makes as more far sense. As volume and, and sugar content. Everybody's that's what I was always told. If don't don't base the what the sugar bush is going to be based on its first year, because you're always going to be happy with the first year. Yeah. So yeah. maybe there's something to um, I don't know us backyarders rotating our trees a little more. So. Yeah, I mean, there's another thing you could do if you really wanted to extend your season, which I don't. Um, my average season is between four and six weeks, and usually five weeks, right? But so I don't. I'm, I'm pretty much done at the end of that. You know, I want to do other things. But if you wanted to extend your season, you could tap on the south side early on, and then towards the end of the season, when temperatures are getting more mild or warmer, you could tap on the north side, right? And, a and, lot and of he us, talks about that in the 1700s, by wow, the way. That's and, another and I was like, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of us, you know, like my property, I've got three times as many trees available than I'm going to ever tap. So you could, if you really wanted to, tap one set. And then midway through the season, when those slow down, tap a whole new set. Yeah, I do believe in the one tapper tree. There was a guy in Ohio I was reading doing that, and when he started tapping, one tap, no matter the size of the tree, he claimed he got full power, hmm. you know, of it. And he was getting a half a gallon of syrup per tap over the course of his season. Um, you know, for reference, a quart is considered decent. So anything approaching half a gallon is like, holy crap, that's pretty good. My best was about .75 one year. Amazing. That's that's. I don't know if I'll ever do that again. Who knows? Was that the length of the season, or it was just your normal season was really good? Meaning, did you somehow extend it six to eight weeks? I, it was my normal season. I didn't go any longer. It was just a great year. I just stopped. Yeah. Um. So I do believe one tap, and and I've talked about this before, but yeah, I did find some research. So it wasn't just conjecture. Uh, from the 1950s and a Cornell university study where they did study um mm -hmm. you know a sugar bush that was only one tapper tree versus one where they put in two and i think it was like 30 percent on that second tap loss 30 percent loss maybe i can't remember if it was 30 percent loss or 30 percent of the other one i can't remember now mm -hmm. but it, either way that's significant right all right I mean, either way if you're only hanging 10 to 20 buckets spread your out Spread yourself out on different trees, and you're going to get more tap. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're a backyard, you have more trees than you can tap. It makes sense. If you're a commercial person, what I just said doesn't make sense. You would you would put that second tap in. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, that would be, it would be ridiculous not to. Right. But, you know, just interesting stuff. The other thing that comes up when you read about stuff in the 1700s is that not just Thomas Jefferson, but many people talked, talked about um, – this, the great advantage that maple sugaring, commercial maple sugaring would have over the sugarcane industry, which was, what do you think it was? What do you mean, maple sugar? Yeah, the biggest advantage. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the eating of maple syrup or sugar either. It's completely ethical. A moral, a moral benefit. A moral benefit. Yeah. Well, it's a local product? I don't know. Slavery. Oh, slavery. <laughs> yeah, sugarcane was slavery, and they were saying, if you know, if we do this in New England, you know, we can get rid of slavery. You're, you're eating sugar that comes from slaves. Uh-huh. And they're, they, I, I've seen that over and over again. Um, yeah, cited. Right. As reasons. So I thought that was interesting, you know. But 
the other thing is is that the price of today the price of maple syrup is um not not what it should be it's not marketable you ever you ever you ever look into this <laughs> the freaking canadians have a they basically they they have a cartel oh. up there is oh, it oh yeah yeah they fix the price this is they a- have a whole ministry that fixes the price of maple syrup and since they're three quarters of the market um what they stockpile it and they manipulate the price by manipulating that inventory you're not allowed to sell your syrup, as far as I know, in Canada privately, like you can in the United States. They they give their makers a quota system about how much they can or should produce. I guess so. Yeah, I've I've, I've seen a documentary on it, and um, yeah, it was one of the reasons I I sold sap um, commercially to a commercial sugar bush for a little, for about ten years. Um, I, one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I stopped doing it was um, you never knew what it was worth until Canada was done with their season. And they're being further north, had a later season typically. Yeah. So you never knew what their yield was because they set the market of what your sap was worth. So I would have you know all this input of preparation, tapping, uh, all this time in December, January, and then all the labor of collecting the sap and selling yeah. it in February, March to not get paid until May. That's typically. crazy. So it, it was one of the reasons it just felt yeah. unworth it to me. Um, and if they had a good year, then it would tank our market and the, all my efforts uh, wouldn't be worth much. And in other years, it, it was. So on the average, it was okay, but year to year sucked. Yeah, it protects the maple producers, I guess, up there, but it doesn't protect the consumer. No, it's, you know, I think it's ridiculous. I don't like getting political, but this is well, something that that U.S. should work out with Canada. It's it, it, ridiculous, should. and it really doesn't help. Or it really doesn't help the producer here, though, because um, we already have an established market, and consumers want to pay. You know, they don't want a huge fluctuation in price year to year. No. So, um, you know, you can't take advantage of that year where Canada has uh, a low a low yield and sell it for more money unless you sell it all bulk um, to yeah. the U.S. market won't, won't allow for that. That's crazy. I don't know. That's why there was the great maple heist, remember? Yeah. Where the, someone, millions they know of, where it's stockpiled in Canada and millions of right, uh, gallons? M- millions of barrels. I barrels. Think. It, was a, it was a ridiculous amount. <laughs> uh, it just disappeared out of warehouses. I mean, it, talk about price fixing. I mean, that's what they do. I mean, that'd be like a bunch of owners in Delaware County just getting together and setting the price on, on any goods. So it's what? Crazy. The U.S. tariff Canada syrup? Is that how we fix this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it's ridiculous, man. Canadians fixing the price of maple uh, syrup. I guess, you know, know your maker, know your sugar maker. There's probably one down the road, so buy local. Yeah, exactly, you know. Um the price should be what you're willing to pay for it. But anyway, tonight's topic is backyard maple sugaring. And unlike Canada, according to one Canadian maple researcher who came down one year to Verona at the New York State Maple Conference said, you guys have the best maple trees in the world. <laughs> and New York State does. New York State is the heart of the sugar maple tree and Delaware County is the heart of I would say in New York of the sugar maple tree. New York State has the most potential taps in the world, and like I just said, 
Delaware County has the most in New York State. So we got well-drained soils. It's just ideal for the sugar maple. Calcium rich, and uh, it's even even better than Vermont. So we have the trees. We definitely have the trees. This is one tree, the sugar maple, that doesn't really need or require disturbance. Doesn't need fire or large cutting. It it's just fine with a little more rain. If we're getting more rain, like it seems like we are in the last few years, it doesn't care. All right. Taste uh, maple syrup. I like on everything. Um, I don't know for some reason. I don't know how this happened, but maple syrup. Um, some some people just think it's just for pancakes. I don't know. How, how this I don't know either. It's so versatile. Uh, yeah. it's, it's even lost favor in, in baking. There's like a push, a marketing push to bring it back to baking. It's like, you know, it's a sugar. Just just use it as a sugar, as a sweetener. I don't understand. Me neither. I, I don't get it. I, I, put, it, I put it on everything. I'll be honest. I think pancakes are one of the reasons I was initially kind of turned off by syrup. Um, don't get me wrong. They're good, but I don't want pancakes with sloppy syrup every day it's just too too sweet it's too much like carbo load man yeah for an everyday thing so syrup on a huge amount of bread i don't know it's Uh, not my thing yeah i uh i went through a time period where i didn't put it on much at all i'm I'm working my way back up yeah i put it on almost every morning so every morning my favorite meal of the day is a breakfast sandwich i mean onion roll or a pretzel roll two eggs you know, that's the best for me. And just a little maple syrup, just a little string of it across the top of it is uh, is where I'm at. I put it on popcorn as well at night. Uh, very often I have popcorn at night. And maple nuts are good for when you're hiking and stuff. I don't know. I Almost anything, really. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I put a teaspoon in my coffee every now and then. Not every day, but every now and then. Yeah. Um, tree selection. So backyard, this is backyard maple sugaring we're talking about tonight. It's not commercial sugaring. You know, gone is the di- gone are the days when you you have a 19th century sugar bush with those big, you know, maple trees, 50 feet apart, open grown. I think they're beautiful. You still find them in Delaware County and other parts of Ulster and Sullivan. Usually, an old farmstead. Up on the hill above it, if you follow where the springs are, where you know, crest of the ridge or just below the ridge where they didn't feel like hanging as much, you'll find an old sugar bush. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Usually large diameter. Now they look like a lot of them are dilapidated. A lot of their cohort, uh, their offspring are growing up around them. Um, and uh, they're dying from the centers. Typically the big branches falling out of them. They might be 30 plus inches in diameter. Yeah, um, they're really old, some of these. Some of these go back to the mid-1800s. And I cut down one that was near someone's house in Margerville. And I don't know, man. An old sugar maple, some of the densest wood, heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it bent my springs on my truck. I just, I've hauled sugar maple before, but this was abnormally dense, I thought. Maybe maybe my truck just sucked at the time. Who knows? But <laughs> truck finally gave up. <laughs> no, it seemed pretty heavy when I was moving it. Yeah. All right, by hand into the trailer, and uh, so. But anyway, um, if you ever get a chance to cut down one of these old trees, take a cookie out of, you know, about five feet or so where people normally tap. Well, people probably tap around four feet or so, right? 
Yeah, trees and, forfeit. Yeah, and you can see the old tap marks. You know, trees don't heal, they seal. So that hole from when old Jeremiah tapped the tree in 1845 is still there. And you can see when they're using the old iron spouts, maybe, to up until, you know, whenever. Yeah, if there's metal in the tree, sometimes, you know, sometimes they broke off. There might be some or metal residue in there. You'll see a black streak around it or a blackish blue streak. But you'll see this uh, staining uh, uh, brown streak, typically, from dead wood, from heartwood around the tree. But, yeah, Ryan and I cut one. Uh, the top blew out of it, so we cut the stem down and milled it up this last season. That one had 200 rings on it. It's 200, 200 years old. Wow. Was it that old? Yeah. That was the oldest one that I've seen. That's why I remember it. Uh, you, yeah, because, you know, it's it's hard to get trees past, like, 175, 180 years around here. So anything older than that is notable. Um, but... Yeah, there was several, you could see several generations of sugar makers in that tree as we milled it up, um, dating more recently in the last 25 years, all the way back to when that tree was, you know, just tappable size. Uh, and it was right next to the foundation of where the sugar house was. So, you know, that tree got tapped every year. I, I You know, we, I cut it down with you, but I wasn't there when you guys saw it, so I don't remember. I don't have any. Yeah. So was there a lot, there was a lot of tap holes? Yeah, um, more so, there was a long period in between where nothing happened. So there was a few towards the middle. And I would say for, if it's 200 years old, this, the middle 100 years, maybe nothing. Huh. Uh, there was very few tap holes on any of them um, for the 50% of the of the wood. And then the outer last 50 years, 25 years, nothing. over-tapped. No, oh, really? Uh, really tapped. Huh. Really cool. And when you walk up into the sugar bush, you can see the, like all the callus bulge around three, three and a half, four feet um, around, circular around all these trees right. uh, where it was, you know, repetitively tapped. Probably on the south side. Uh, all around, all around. All around? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful, though. The wood, phenomenally beautiful. I ended up, um, out of a piece of the slab wood, the landowner gave me... Um, gave it to a friend who was getting married as a present as their bar top at their wedding. I put a finish on it and sanded it and gave it to him. Sweet. And uh, I'll show you pictures later, but it is gorgeous. Huh? Maybe we'll put them up on our uh, Facebook page or something. No kidding. Yeah, those days are over. So now the reason why they're over of, of managing a sugar bush with a lot of spacing is because of, of the reverse osmosis machine. Um, rather than spending time going out in the woods dangerously thinning out trees to get more sunlight and boost their sugar content i don't want to say naturally but more naturally right um well just leave them tap them and then put the sap through an ro and boost the sugar content inside through a machine that's what's going on which i i don't i it totally makes sense you know that people would do that commercially and if you you know in a thin sugar bush those trees are Occupying the same amount of uh, uh, surface area, I guess, across the landscape, um, acreage-wise, right? So it's going to cost the sugar maker commercially, you know, the same uh, amount of money in tubing. So might as well just save the save the effort of cutting and uh, just put it into um, your RO because you're running the same amount of tubing anyway. Yeah, it would be a pain, pain in the butt. I mean, you got to take the tubing down. If you didn't have the forethought to do it before, mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be better to thin, but to me, it takes a lot more uh, skill 
to find someone to do that, first of all, they don't really exist. It's really hard to find someone that does that. Yeah, because it's likely non-commercial trees that are coming out, so yeah. uh, you're not going to get a, someone in there to sell it. It's not going to make you money. Right. So it, I get it. It's hard to justify economically to do it. Um, so, so if you're a backyarder, though, you're still thinking in the 19th century. Maybe you don't have an RO. They do have kits that you can make um, backyard reverse osmosis, but most people are not going to do that. So you're gonna you're gonna try to have the trees power up your your uh, sugar content by thinning around them, and it makes a huge huge difference. For example, <laughs> um, I tapped 17 taps in 2007, and in Frost Valley, that was an unthinned sugar bush. So I don't, it was not really a sugar bush. I mean, I, you know, they just were never thinned. Growing like like saw logs with small crowns, right? Mm -hmm. I made four four point four gallons back then, and I tapped to the bitter end. Yeah. I remember I tapped in sometime in February, maybe early February, and I pulled out at the end of the second week in April. Oh wow! I mean, I did not pull out until it smelled like wet dog hair. That sap, literally, and it was no longer clear for a while. And you got a quart per tap. Ish. Yeah, that's it. And so I would say, really, I probably would have gotten a lot less. Yeah, had you not gone. If I was going for quality syrup. Right. You know what I mean? So that was that. Now, I'm more likely to get 8 to 10 gallons with 17 taps because of the trees that I tap are, uh, they're just huge. They're yard maples, man. They're, they're growing in a horse pasture. And um, they don't quit. They're beautiful trees. And uh, and I, I don't go to the bitter end. I, as soon as the sap, the quality of the sap goes down a little bit, I, I'm out, you know. So, yeah. So that's the difference. Mm -hmm. So instead of, so that initial sugar bush where they're on thin is 1.5%, about 50 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. And today it's typically 2.2 at the lowest and upwards to three percent at the very highest. That's that's unusual though. It's usually yeah two point four to two point six percent. And I'm somewhere in between. I tap hedgerow trees because that's what I got. Um, so one side is south facing and have access to a lot of sun. The opposite side is forested and is what it is. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, comparatively, my sugar contents are always two percent or lower. One point nine, two percent. Pretty yeah. typical for me. Yeah, I used to tap more hedgerow trees where I tap now, and they would run. <clears throat> they would run pretty well, but, yeah, the sugar contents were definitely down more because their crowns are smaller. I feel like I don't have total data on this, but the larger trees take a little longer to get going, but then once they get going, they stay going longer, which kind of makes sense, I guess, because they're a bigger mass. Right? So it's harder to warm them up, mm -hmm. I feel like, in the earlier part of the sugaring season. But once they wake up, it's like, holy crap. You know? They also need to be on, on decent sites. Um, my best tree, coincidentally, is near the wettest part on a sloping hillside, though. It's not sitting in water. Yeah. Uh, my, my worst tree is is one of the ones that's nearest the road. Uh and it's a different aspect of the hill. It's it's 
becoming more south southeast so typically drier on that that area throughout all the summer i know this because i mowed mowed the lawn <laughs> yeah and uh you kind of pay attention to these things and uh that tree doesn't do so well so it's stressed from the road from the ditching from the pavement from all of that plus uh the one side is is quite dry yeah um as long as it's well drained right not sitting in water right yeah and you will find some sugar maple growing maybe even up to tappable size um in poor sites uh and some some properties that maybe even 10 years from now are going to be dead anyway yeah you might not be happy tapping those yeah they, they don't like their roots fussed with sugar maple you know you read about that but then when you see it it really sticks with you so for example my best running tree was um one on the side of this person's driveway and they black topped it one year and it was stopped running the next a little bit i noticed and the next year's pretty much dead so and sometimes it's just the tree so my best tree in the yard is right next to it with very similar looking crown stem everything maybe 20 yards away i have a tree that's just average at best maybe below average yeah and they're side by side next to the best one so who knows oh yeah you don't know what's going on underneath the roots i haven't measured the individual trees in a while i used to but yeah they all vary some are some are a lot sweeter, you yeah. Know? Some aren't, but um, the the, th- the other thing to know besides, you know, tapping sugar maple. Well, you should tap only sugar maple. I mean, you can tap red maple. I don't think they're as sweet. Cornell was saying, was trying to push red maple for a while. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, it's definitely not for the backyarder. The sugar bush that I was selling sap out of was seventy three percent red maple. Yeah, and uh, it would peak out at like 1.7, and hover around 1.4 for most of the season. Yeah, just if without an RO, it's not worth doing, in my opinion. You're getting into 60 plus, um, 60 plus gallons to make that gallon of syrup. Yeah, six, Sixty to one. That's not good. It's just a lot more time and fuel. So it's the same end product, but wow, that's that's. 50% more fuel. Yeah, you can technically tap anything. I have a friend, he has silver maples down in Hurley. That's what he has. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, tap what you got. But they're just not as good. I wonder, too, with red maples, since they butt out a little earlier, whether that matters. It did for me. You know? Um, yeah, I was pulling taps out of that sugar bush uh, about a week to 10 days before anybody else, it seemed. I mean, the guy in Canada says, you know, the Canadians have a lot more red maple than anything they tap. And he was jealous of all of our sugar maple. If you go to New Hampshire, that's what it seemed like to me. They had mostly red maple hmm. and have as many sugar maple. Vermont is very comparable to here and in very similar sites, it seems like, you know, especially central to southern Vermont, it seems. But, yeah, you want to tap sugar maple. Some people... uh you know, it's, it have a hard time deciphering between red and sugar maple. The buds of red maple right now are noticeably red. And sugar maple has, like, white splotches on the bark. I don't know how to explain it, but it has whiter bark. Mm-hmm. Almost like gray patches or gray-white. 
And just looking up, the the buds of if you have two trees, sugar and red side by side, you'll see it right away. The buds are much more swelled on red maple, especially this time of year and getting later into the season, they get even more swelled. Yeah. Yeah, so trying to tap sugar maple. Sapwood, if you haven't cut your sapwood already, sapwood is what you use to, you know, boil your sap into syrup. That's a problem, you know. You either have to go to a sawmill and get some ends or, yeah, you got to have dry wood, you know, not firewood, not dense wood that you put in the wood stove to have a all-night burn. You want stuff that burns really hot and fast. My go-tos are white pine, hemlock, and aspen. I, yeah, those those are what I like. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm burning mainly aspen. Uh, someone gave me some spruce. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, it burns great, but splitting it sucks. Splitting it's terrible. So I don't think I'll ever do that again. But yeah, white uh, white pine and, and aspen are the way to go. White pine and aspen's a great mix, you know. White pine's really hot and fast, and aspen's also hot and fast, but just not as hot and fast. So. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you have nothing else, uh, pallets. They're all usually available from some warehousing, somewhere, broken pallets. They work, but a lot of those are oak and ash and some beech. So, again, they're your dense your dense hardwoods. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, they burn hot and fast because they're small wood, but um, you'll leave that big, dense bed of coals when you're done. Yeah. yeah. Any light wood. If you're further down the line, sassafras even, catalpa. Some people cut down big catalpa trees. Those are great. Even white cedar, once in a while you get a, a northern white cedar that someone planted. That works. So any of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's really important. I, I used to burn like ash and maple and beech and it wasn't that good. The first year I moved into my house, um, I didn't have any sapwood ready to go, but there was uh, a shed that had some leftover wood from the previous landlord. It was white birch ash and red maple so you know use what i had uh it was kind of one of those things where it's too far gone to be uh wood for your house getting kind of punky even yeah so uh my problem with that was <laughs> mounding coals so much halfway through the boil i'd have to shovel out coals into a bucket and get rid of them just because it was taking up volume in my wood box yep yep that happens in the wood stove on very consecutively cold days but trick about that is just raking it to the front, right? Rake to the front and put in something small. Yeah. Turn your uh, turn your air wide open. It'll burn down pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the night when I'm done boiling, I, I just I have the grates. I rake all the coals from the back to the front, and it's nothing but maybe a half a gallon of ash after all that. Mm-hmm. After all that wood boiling for three hours. So it works pretty well. Up next, we'll talk about tapping when to tap all that people debate it all the time you know there's more than one way to tap and it's more to more than one way of knowing when to tap right jen yeah that's right who knows so tonight's topic i'm from the forest is backyard maple sugar and we'll be back Down the drain. 
All right, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is backyard maple sugaring. Um, I don't think we've talked about it exclusively in uh, a few years, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, we've had Mike Porter on, president of the Catskill Forest Association on, but I don't think we've talked about it. Just backyard maple sugaring, so. Now's the time. Yeah, now's the time. It's only February, but the season's been going for a little while already. And um, so when do you tap? You tap when the weather report tells you to tap if you're a backyarder. And you want to tap, and you're ready to tap. Here's the thing about backyarders. You can set your own goals. You know, if you only want to tap for two weeks and uh, in March, go for it. You just might be risking it all because you don't know if the weather's going to be too warm by then. It, it, things happen, you know. Um, but if you want to catch the whole season, tap as soon as you can. And that's what Ryan and I do. Uh, once we see uh, a weather window that's, you know, something like four or five days or more long, uh, where we're seeing thawing days and freezing nights, days in the 40s, nights not too cold, maybe in the 20s at the coldest, you know, low 20s at the coldest, uh, that's telling us it's sugaring weather. And that's typically happening mid-January, early February, mid-February at the latest. Uh, So there's been two solid good weeks up until now. Right now it's the second week of February. So, um, yeah, you've been tapped since when? Mid-January. Mid-January, so almost a month now. Yeah, almost. Yeah, tap when the weather's right. It's a huge advantage we have over our ancestors is that we have a two-week forecast. And, um, you know, sometimes it's wrong, but a lot of times it's not. It gives you a general trend. So that's what I would do. Um, Back in the day, you didn't have a forecast. You kind of walked outside and a few days goes by and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe. Feels right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and after maybe three weeks of that, you started thinking about it. So we have that advantage that people didn't before. Um, some people say, I don't know if it's true, I don't think it is, but you, you put in that tap and they start to heal four weeks later no matter what. Well, it depends, I think. If it's really cold, like if you tapped early and say there's a week and a half where it's just rotten, right? But then there's a week where it gets really cold, like into the single digits, and the seasons, you know, halts, right? Yeah. I don't think that the clock is still marching at that point. Yeah, you can put it on pause for a week. Yeah, like, like people say, well, once you tap that hole, you poke that hole, like you know, you have four to six weeks. They're gonna start, they're gonna start closing up. You know, microorganisms, mm-hmm. maybe some compartmentalizing of the wound. I, I don't know if that's true. I, I always thought it was more microorganisms. Those microorganisms are. I don't know if they're working when it's 10 degrees out. Or they're definitely not that active comparatively to March. But yeah. And here's the thing, though. You're always going to make better syrup quality-wise in the earlier part of the season. It gets worse as the season goes on. Um, yeah. So why not, if you, even if that's true, you have a four-week window, why not use that four-week window when it's going to be better syrup? Yeah. So, uh, for me, yeah, um, middle to end of March is out. I want to be well underway and almost done by then, if I can be. Um, yeah, if I can make all my syrup in February or or whenever, um, that's great by me. One of the best quality syrups I ever made, I think, was 2013, I think, off the top of my head. 
The reason why that year was full of what they call sap snow. And I've written about this, and God, I don't know if I can remember it weather-wise, why meteor, meteorologically it, it occurs, but it'll be 36 degrees, 38 degrees, and just running like crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're like, well, you know, it got down to maybe 28 degrees last night. It's only going to get up to 38 today. They're not going to run that much. Well, that year... That was not the case. That's what I learned about sap snow. And there's like a phenomenon where somehow like, you know, as, as it's like it's warmer right at the surface of the earth. So it's know. cold above to make snow. Yeah, it's cold enough to make snow. But then as it falls, it's just warm enough around the trees. I would, I would guess, yeah, you're, they thawed, and but typically when we have weather events, it comes with low pressure systems. Yeah, and because it's a low pressure system, that sap is going to flow because of the pressure differential. The tree and outside of it is much greater. Right. So it's easier to flow, so to speak. Yeah, I wrote an article on it maybe a year or two ago, and yeah, that was the second thing. It's almost like a natural vacuum. Exactly. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, they were pouring. I remember getting out of the truck walking over with the two buckets to go collect being like that's eh, not gonna be much and just poking my head underneath the off under the lid just, <laughs> just freaking nuts there's like snow on top of the lid and they're just they're just boring mm -hmm. but okay so since it only got in the upper 30s the sap was just crystal clear Mm. There's no microorganisms. There's nothing. There's no ants. There's nothing. A anyone who taps buckets especially knows that it gets in the upper 40s, not even, low 40s. The ants are there. They're always around. I had plenty of moths in mine last week. Yeah. The 50s is the worst. 50s makes not so good sap. Right. You get a couple of days in the mid 50s, and I almost want to throw it out, and sometimes I do. You know, if if you only get a little sap in the bucket, you know, like an inch or two or three, and it's in the 50s, it's turning yellow that day. You right. Know? Not all of them, but some of them are turning yellow already. Right. And it's, it's not a health concern because you're boiling this product. So, right. But like you said, it ends up uh, resulting in, in a quality difference of your end product. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can get that crystal clear, super sweet, Delicious February sap snow, uh, <laughs> sap snow, <laughs> sap snow, sap. That's what you need to go for. So tap early if you're a backyarder. In my opinion, don't don't wait for your whole season to be in March or whenever. You know, I've heard a lot of dates, calendar date people out there. It's like you can't tap until Lincoln's birthday. Well, there's there's a calendar next to me, and that was the twelfth. So, um, yeah. uh. If you tap the twelfth, well, guess what? You wouldn't have gotten any anything because it's still not warm enough yet. It's been cold since the twelfth, um, but you missed two really good weeks before that around in here in Delaware County. Yeah, there's a guy that used to say that in in my part of the woods in all of Central Ulster County. He say tap between Lincoln's birthday and President's Day, always. That's all right. Well, you know, hey, uh, you do then, you. Yeah, and then um, I know a commercial guy. You know, um, he he taught me or told me he always taps his first tree, uh, even though he's a commercial tubing guy. He hangs a bucket on the tree in the yard uh, January first every year. That's his that's his gauge. <laughs> and when he sees uh, you know a consistent run that he's happy with, he goes and taps his whole sugar bush. Now, if I was a commercial guy, I would just calendar tap 
anyway, January 1st, no matter what, just to have them ready. Yeah, exactly. I mean... It's just too many of them. I, I, I'm not going to tell people anything about how to do it, but if I were... Res- <laughs> part of my uh, yearly income yeah. uh, was, was based on something weather-related that's unpredictable mm-hmm. in many ways, uh, I'd want to gather every drop. And if that drop fell on January 1st, I want to gather it. I think the only guy I've ever seen do that was that Herb Van Baron over in uh, Big Indian... He used to tap sometime in December, I thought. Wow. You know, hey, sap's running. Or he would have them ready. He was really on it. He would get out there and... Because it takes time, you know, especially if you're doing it alone. You don't want to pay too many people to do it, mm-hmm. help you. If you don't have many friends. Right. <laughs> I mean, thousands of taps on steep terrain, usually. Yeah. Not always, but usually. It takes time, you know. How many weeks? Sometimes it does, you know. Right. So... But that's a different game. We're talking about backyard sugaring. My wonkiest year of backyard sugaring was 2009. So 2008 was the first year I really tapped a lot of trees. I, I tapped in 2007, but 2008 was the first serious year. And I only got a little 2 by 3 and I made 25 gallons of syrup in 2008 on a 2x3, which is crazy. <laughs> All right, because I was boiling like a madman 8 to 12 hours a day like a maniac. Um, didn't have a wife, no kids, didn't care. I was up till three in the morning. Who cares, right? And that year, I was like, man, this making syrup stuff is easy. I mean, the weather was perfect in the 40s, 20s. Sap stayed real nice and cool. And uh, I was happy. The color was great, nice light amber. 2009, I actually made more to 26 gallons, but it was atrocious syrup. And it's never happened since, I don't think. It would get up, I remember, 60 degrees and then plummet into the teens at night. I was like, this is freaking nuts. Whoa. I mean, I just remember the sap, sap was like going bad, you know what I mean? Like it'd be right. up in the 50s and then plunge below freezing. Wow. And then go way back up. I was like, this is so crazy. So the sap was running like nuts. Um, I had two 25-gallon... Uh, things and I was going twice sometimes to go get them. It was crazy. What was it? 2013. Yeah, was the killer year where everyone was having a great season and then it just hit 90. Like uh, maybe not 90, right. but hot. all right, it's like crazy. Like like hot, 70s at least though. Yeah. It got hot, hot. Yeah. Um, and just killed it. Yeah, I know 2010, it did that in Ulster County. We were a little luckier in Delaware because it just warmed up. And that's why I always tap. That's when I really started looking at the forecast. It's like I don't want to be in a position where the sap just shuts off. Because mm-hmm. once the lows get above freezing, you're done. And I remember uh, what's-his-name down in Kerhonkson. They had like a weak season. It just up and warmed up. Mm-hmm. It was in the 60s. Never got below freezing again. Season's over. Yeah. So Just like know. that. Yeah, that's why I think you go by the forecast as soon as you see a window. The only reason why, like, you could technically even tap in December, but, you know, you got Christmas, you got the holidays, hunting season just ended. If it was up to me, I would tap end of January, early February, every year. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the the best. The days are still short. You're not missing much. But even today, right, you know, we went to go to the radio show, a little light left, you know? Don't by, be going by uh, us either, because you know. Yeah, do we want? 
We could be all over the place, too, and comparatively to your local weather. I remember there was a year, two or three years ago, uh, Ryan tapped. We tapped almost the same day, uh, I think. Uh, definitely the same week. And we ended the same week. But we kept uh, exchanging notes day to day, and I wasn't. My trees were not turning on, not turning on, not turning on. And then in the last, like, two weeks, I got all of my run. And I made uh, a very average year for me. Uh, And you said you had an average year, too. Yet mine was so compacted. Um, And you had a, you know, boiling every day kind of season. Yeah, the the trees are kind of hard to predict. I I now believe they do what they want. Um, They're... People sit around the evaporator trying to predict what they're going to do, but there's so many variables. The weather is so unpredictable, like, and it's always been unpredictable, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> People have always complained about the weather, I yeah. think, throughout human history. But, I mean, what I mean by unpredictable is your sugar bush, does it face south? Does it face southwest? Does it face north? How does the air move around? Is it in a pocket? Is it on a slope? Yeah. All the uh, well, is it cloudy? Is it sunny? I mean, forty and sunny, thirty-eight and sunny is completely different than thirty-eight and cloudy. Than forty-two and cloudy and windy. I I used to think it was crazy. I remember Mike told me, you know, if you get a south wind, they'll they'll turn off. And I was like, really? Even if it's forty-four out, like he's right. I noticed he was. I thought, you know, I thought it was completely uh ridiculous uh, who knows why i've seen it i've seen them be 42 and you get a south wind which is the warm side of the tree which is really the side you know they warrant they run the most on it seems yeah Hot, south wind i'm talking like 20 miles per hour yeah we're not talking a gentle breeze not like a five to eight mile per hour wind mm-hmm. like today it's kind of windy yeah got that pff, forget it yeah, you know? no, for for sure. You've been walking around. Next time you go for a walk on the road, right, and you see 30, 29 degrees outside, sunny, no wind. Look at where the power company has trimmed away sugar maple branches, mm-hmm. and you'll see them dripping. You'll yep. see them wet. And you'll see some icicles sometimes. Okay, your roof, it's 28 degrees out, not above freezing. The sun's hitting it. It's all flowing off your roof. Yeah. You know, uh, is it different between January, February, March, the way the sun is? You know? How cold did it get the night before? It makes a big difference, right? It, yeah. Was it was it low teens? Uh, it, it's going to take those trees a long time on a cloudy day, right. even at 40 degrees, to thaw. It might be late afternoon before you get a, a small run out of them. Or if it was sunny first thing in the morning, they'll thaw quickly. Okay, so tomorrow it's going to be 38 degrees forecast, I think, for where I'm at. In Central Ulster County, tonight's low though is 20. It's windy. It's gonna take a while to warm up. They're probably not gonna think about running till at least noon, mm-hmm. one, one thirty. You know, there was a day like that last week where it was even sunny, and it was 40, but it was so cold the night before. They just, it was taking its time about getting the about getting warm. The winters, I feel like. Since we've been pruning apple trees for the last few years, you ever notice how intense the winter is, like dramatic rather? In the summertime, like it'll get down to what, 59, 58 degrees? Yeah. Get up maybe 80 tops, if that, sometimes. Right. You've been pruning, like it'll be sometimes 9 degrees out. And by two hours later, it'll be 25 degrees, 29 degrees. Huge temperature swings. Huge temperature swings. Like 
Yeah. yeah, especially uh, on those negative days. I mean, this has nothing to do with syrup, but yeah, you know, those negative days, you could see like 40, 50 degree temperature swings in three or four hours. Yeah, remember that day in Bovina? It was like, it's like negative five or something. Yeah. A few hours later, it was like 20 something degrees. It felt like a heat wave. It was like, oh man. Right. You Just were... frozen. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're in a, nothing but a sweatshirt. <laughs> well, we uh, didn't really talk about much of anything else. We got uh, We got the tapping. Um, I guess we'll go right into the, we got about four minutes left, about the arch. The arch is what you use to boil sap. The evaporator is what you use, wait, the arch is what sits under the pan you put wood into, and the pan, the evaporator is the pan, right? This is kind of the most, biggest stumbling block for, uh, block for backyard sugar, sugar people, and I don't know, I guess the simplest way is, is these kits they make, right, you were saying? Yeah, so um, look up a barrel stove kit. Um, this is more geared toward turning a 55-gallon steel drum into a wood stove for like a shop. But you're only one more step away from cutting a hole in the top of it. So it'll accept a steam pan from a, a restaurant supply store that's stainless and set it down in there. You could do it easily with a grinder or a hacksaw or a, or a sawzall or whatever. Uh, and Boom, you got an evaporator. So the, the, the barrel stove kit will come with a door and a flue pipe insert. Uh, then you just need a little pipe. It even comes with the legs for it to sit on to get up off the ground. Like I said, cut your hole in the top to accept a pan, and now you've got an evaporator. Huh. The downsides, uh, the barrels really aren't meant for fire <laughs> for long periods of time. It'll cause a lot of uh, rusting and rotting, so you might get two, three seasons out of it. I bricked mine. When I built one and got four seasons out of it before it started routing out, very happy. Had less than $100 in, in supplies into it. Um, so that, I recommend that for anyone who is serious enough to want to uh, produce a product year after year and uh, do it comfortably, uh, but not serious enough to invest into a multi-thousand dollar small-scale evaporator. Yeah. I'm um, just using buckets. There's all sorts of ones now. Um, there's plastic ones. There's even those ones that plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Cheap. Those are my least favorite. But I tap other people's trees. I've talked about this before. I like the metal buckets. They're aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. People, when they see that metal bucket, think, oh, that's someone tapping trees. Right. <laughs> it's It's really easy to gain permission if you're using metal buckets. Yeah. Yeah. It just and because it's gray, it kind of blends nicely into the tree too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the most aesthetic person, but I could see why a landowner would be like, "Yeah, go ahead. It looks great. It looks like something that should be on that tree, mm -hmm. <laughs> rather than a bright blue bucket or a, yeah. or a bright blue bag." Right. So, so I think that's the way to go. Um, what are they? They, they have stainless steel, I guess, now, buckets. It must cost a fortune. It seems to me that they're phasing out galvanized, which is what you and I are using for buckets. Um, so if you're going to buy new metal buckets, you're probably going to be paying for stainless, and stainless not cheap. Yeah. So I see a lot of people buying plastic buckets, uh, those those blue ones. Again, they work just fine. But um, uh, if you can either get donated from someone or buy used on um, you know, whatever marketplace you're using... You could come across them, yeah. The the older metal buckets, but I mean, back to the evaporator. If you don't want to invest in hardly anything, you probably have enough stuff laying around. You can build something, cinder blocks, 
um, use some metal piping or T-post uh, as a grate and then set your pan on and some old chimney pipe to get a flu, flu going, you can assemble something in short time. If you got any questions, um, you can always, you know, call us at the office, Catskill Forest Association, talk about what that magic temperature is when it becomes maple syrup and all that. I um, just want to say that events coming up, Catskill Forest Association will be hosting Apple Tree Printing Demonstration February 24th, 10th to 12th, and a Wild Game Potluck Dinner March 16th, 5 to 8. The Apple Tree Printing Demonstration, just go online, catskillforest.org slash events. That's in Bovina. The Wild Game Potluck Dinner is at the Margaretville Fire Hall. That's all I got tonight. Have sure. a good night. Thank you. Good night. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime Of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom In the forest She touched his grizzled fingers And she called him by his name And then he heard the joyful sound Of children at their games in an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town.